So, awkward encounter last weekend, he fires me at the end of the service, if you all remember that one. And then this week he purposely calls me the wrong name. I won't tell you my middle name because that's a secret. But yeah, we'll go with that. It is great to be with you. I'm excited to spend time in God's Word with you. We're going to spend time in the book of Jeremiah here in a little bit. Just as a question, how many of you like the feeling of being in the unknown? Yeah, the groan, the sigh. (laughs) We don't like it. We don't like the waiting. We don't like the unknown because it makes us anxious, makes us stressful. We get excited, though, sometimes. Sometimes we just get overly nervous. Sometimes it's a new adventure, a new purpose. We're trying to figure out how do we navigate the unknown? How do we navigate this life that we are living? The last few weeks have been a lot of unknown for the McClure's. That's just, I mean, that's an understatement. Uh, It's been a lot of craziness, a lot of stress as we step into new jobs, new place to live, almost, like all, all the different things that have been going on. And I can tell you that we've been on the emotional roller coaster. And we've been in the peaks, we've been in the valleys, but rarely are we there at the same time. I mean, I'd be like, oh, Scott's excited, Katie's depressed. Scott's depressed, Katie's Katie's amazing. It's fun being in the unknown, right? No. (laughs) But listen, we've trusted God in this whole process, knowing this is where God is calling us to be as a family. But it's different, because we have called Parkersburg, where we've been, home for seven and a half years. Myself, over 20 years. I can tell you everything about the Middle Ohio Valley in Parkersburg. I know it like the back of my hand. I know where the good pizza is and where it's definitely not. I can tell you where the best donuts in West Virginia are. Am I right, Ron? No. <laughs> he surprised me this morning with donuts from JR's Donut Castle down in the, in the, the kitchen down there. This is amazing. A taste it for a king is our slogan, so thank you, Ron, for that one. I can tell you where to go. I can tell you where not to go. And now I'm stepping into a new city. I have no idea anything about the city. I just want to hang out with Phil and Josh. That's about all I know what to do. And that may be a terrible idea. I don't really know yet. But when you're in that space of the unknown, you just know, you start to wrestle with your thoughts, you wrestle with your emotions, and you start asking yourselves deep questions, questions about God. God, where are you in this? Where am I in this? What is my purpose? Where are you leading me? Where are you leading my family? And that's a crazy space to be in. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, this is a regular thing. Why? Because throughout Scripture, Paul, the Apostle Peter, said that we, the people of God, once we declare our allegiance to Him, we are now strangers and exiles in this world. That now, once we say we belong to Christ, everything changes. Circumstances, maybe not so much. But our allegiance, our loyalty, and our citizenship is no longer in this earth. It's now about a better kingdom. And everything starts to look different. Sojourners, exiles, in a distant land, this world that we live in is not our home. We were prepared for a better place, and that place is being prepared for us right now. Yet we still live right here in this tension, the tension of the now and the not yet. We have been saved by the work of Jesus, yet the Holy Spirit is making us new. We have eternity kept in the hands of Jesus, but yet we still live this side of eternity. We are citizens of heaven, yet we are still temporary residents of this place we call earth. How do we live then as the people of God in the light of that reality? How do we live in this tension? How do we live in this unknown? Do we just hunker down and isolate ourselves completely from the world and just wait for Jesus to come? That's one way. 
Do we do the complete opposite? We just celebrate the glorious new freedom that we have in Jesus and say, we know what? I'm going to live my best life and do whatever I want regardless of the circumstances. That's the complete opposite. Do we have a purpose here and now as the people of God in this space? We're going to see in the book of Jeremiah that the people of God should always live as the people of God no matter where God has the people of God. No matter where God has placed you as the people of God, it is His desire that you live as the people of God. Grab your Bibles and go to Jeremiah 29. As you're turning to that section, just to catch you up on where Jeremiah is in this entire story, the first several books of the Old Testament, you know that God creates mankind and then He sets apart for Himself a certain group of people. We know Him as the Israelites. And He says, you are my chosen people. I want you to be a people of my own possession. I have a special identity for you and a special purpose for you. And as they grow and as they multiply, you know they go through hardship, they go through slavery, they go through all kinds of different problems. And then finally, they come into their own, into their homeland, where they have their king, their kingdom, and they're growing and they're multiplying. The Lord is blessing them and the nations are being blessed through them. Everything begins to change. 930 B.C., the two kingdoms now split. A northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. In 720 B.C., a people known as the Assyrians, a northern kingdom, came and absolutely just wiped out the northern kingdom. Just left them barren. In 609 B.C., that powerhouse, the Assyrians, are wiped out completely by a group known as the Babylonians. They thought they were strong, here comes a bigger foe. And meanwhile, down in the south, in the southern kingdom, you're left with this people group who are hearing stories of what happened to their family, to their friends and their loved ones in the distant land in the north. And now they have this looming threat surrounding their city, their home, their territory. So it's at this time that Jeremiah, a prophet who is also a priest, comes in and starts speaking a message to them. He says, hey, you know that looming threat, that, that the thing that's around us that happened to our friends up in the north? That's coming for you. Death is at our doorstep. There is destruction coming. They're like, no, no, that's okay. We have a deal with the Assyrians. They're going to protect us. Yeah, the Babylonians destroyed them. Oh. Well, we have a deal with Egypt. Yeah, they destroyed them too. It's coming for us as well. He starts speaking to them saying, I need you to repent. And he says over and over again, the message from God is, return to me and I will return to you. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, I, the people of God have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the first love, and that they have dug broken cisterns that can't hold water. It's like you guys are forgetting me, your God, the one who made a covenant with you, and you are seeking and searching for satisfaction in anyone and everyone else, and you are not finding it. So therefore, judgment's going to fall on you in a powerful and destructive way. So Jeremiah starts speaking this message, and you can imagine, imagine that one guy who you know is right, but you don't want to know he's right. He says, hey, this is happening. Like, no. His own family, his friends, they reject him. They try to persecute him. They try to get rid of him. But then finally, everything comes true. In 597, King Jehoiachin, king of southern kingdom of Israel, he surrenders to the Babylonians, and everyone is gone. They come into Jerusalem. They destroy the temple of God. They destroy the palace. They destroy everything, and they take the people of God from their home and take them 800 miles to Babylon, where they would remain in 70 years in exile. And once they got into exile, they were forced to eat their food, take on new names, 
Take on new religion. Be educated by their instructors. If you want to read more about that, I encourage you to read Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's exactly what those guys are going through. And here they are left with doubt. They're left with loss. They don't know what to do. But imagine this scenario for a second. Imagine you spend your entire life living in one area. Now you're homeless. You've, you've, you've had this status, and now status has been ripped away from you. You've been known by one name, and now you're being forced to go by another. You've, you've believed in one thing, and now you're being forced to believe something else. This is what's going on. So I looked it up. Being 800 miles away, I asked Google. I said, Google, what is a city within 800 miles of here? Like a big city. And I came up with Quebec, Quebec City in Canada. Now, this is unlikely, but imagine the scenario where Canada gets a little too big for the bridges. And they're like, you know what? We gave you Ryan Reynolds. We gave you Justin Bieber. We gave you Tim Hortons. But now we're coming for you. You claim them as your own. They're ours. We're coming for you. And they come into Clarksburg, and they wreak havoc upon our city. They destroy Clarksburg Baptist Church. They destroy the churches in the area. They destroy our government buildings. They destroy our city. They destroy our Italian restaurants. They even destroy Josh's favorite, Olive Garden. <laughs> they destroy all that we know, and they take the best, the brightest, our leaders, our pastors, our teachers, and they remove you and make you walk 800 miles back to Quebec. Contextualize that for a second. This is what we're talking about. They are now in a completely unknown situation, being forced to do things that they never wanted to do. And he says... This will be your new reality for 70 years. God put a time stamp on it. 70 years you will be in exile for what you have done. So let's walk through Jeremiah 29. Because Jeremiah writes a letter. He writes a letter to the people who are now in Babylon in exile. He starts off this passage. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders. Did you catch that? To the ones who survived. This trek back to Babylon. He writes this letter to them. And to the priests and prophets and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried off into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and their artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted this letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, yeah, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar. All right, so imagine for a second. You are now in Babylon. The, the guy you don't want to talk to is the guy who's been telling you for the last several years you are going into exile. Because what do you think that letter is going to say when you open it? Me, I'm like, ha ha, I told you. Right? That's how I would do it. I'm a little less holy than Jeremiah, apparently. But that's not what he does. He opens up this letter. And he says, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those. I, wait a second, he just said, who King Nebuchadnezzar, now he's saying, God himself carried them off into exile. Can you wrestle with that for a second? That this king who came up, this powerful king, who carted these people off into exile, was actually doing it under the sovereignty of Almighty God and the plans and purposes of God. I have to wrestle with that. He takes these people. I carried you off into exile. God brings up kings. He destroys kings. He uses kings and kingdoms. God in his perfect sovereign and just ways has them exactly where he wants them. I love what happens in verse 5. 
because now he's going to give them a purpose. Because even while they're in exile, he's like, I still have a purpose for you. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take, and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. I love this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Let's stop there for a second. He says, you are now in exile. You are now being punished for 70 years. But I have a purpose for you. I want you to build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Get married. Have kids. Tell your children to grow and get married and have kids. Increase in number. Be fruitful and multiply. That sounds a little familiar for the people of God. Don't decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And pray to the Lord for that city. Does that sound radical? It, it would have been. It would have been very radical in that time. Because in that moment, they were thinking, you know what, we're probably going to be here for a few years. There were actually false prophets coming around in the previous chapter saying, it's going to be three years. Okay, just, just, just hang in there. So just get like a temporary, just get a rental, get an Airbnb. We're going to be fine. And they were also thinking, you know, how, how could I get married in a time like this? How could I ever have kids in a time like this? As a parent... Don't say that to other parents. Like, don't say, you know, I can't imagine raising a kid in the world today. That's just depressing to tell to a parent. We're thriving, baby. Like, this is great. But he's like, don't do this. They're also thinking, this city's terrible. This is not our home. King Nebuchadnezzar, hashtag not my king. You know, this is what's going on here. And he says, this is a radical statement, but the only reason why it's radical is because where they are. They're no longer in their home. They're no longer where God had them, where God made a place for them. Because he's actually telling them to do exactly what he's always told them to do. To be the people of God. And carry out his mission. And wherever I've planted you, be my people. Spread my image. And bless the city. Bless the nation. Bless the world around you. I love when he says, seek the peace. Or seek the welfare. The word actually is shalom. You're familiar probably with that Hebrew term. It actually means more wholeness, not just peace. And usually with peace, uh, Craig Rochelle says, peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's actually about the fullness of God. To seek the fullness of God, the shalom, the wholeness for that city, where I have placed you. And you're like, wait a second, this, is, this city's wicked. This city's evil. And he's like, I know, seek its good. Seek its peace. Then he moves on to talk about false teachers. He says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to them, to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So there are prophets among them. Jeremiah is back home, writing this letter. And here are these prophets that they are giving authority to and power to because they are claiming to have the word of God. They are claiming to know God, have dreams and visions of God. And he's like, do not listen to them. Do not, do not give them influence. Just because they have a title doesn't mean anything. They are not from God. And God says, I did not send them. They are lying to you. They are telling you it's going to be three years. It's going to be 70. They're going to tell you it's going to be terrible. I'm telling you, you can be peaceful. I love it, too, that those people, those prophets, those false prophets, are also in exile. That should say a lot right there, right? Here they are in Babylon. And then he goes on, and we start seeing our hope here for a second. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you. I love that because they believe that God's presence is in Jerusalem and the temple. And he is saying, come near to me and I'll come near to you. And now he's saying, I'm going to come visit you. 
in Babylon. I'm not contained to a temple or a building. I'm coming to you. And I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. And then the verse that most of us probably know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, there's that word again. Not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call on my name. Call upon me and you will come to and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes, gather you from all the nations, all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. You, see, you hear the hope in that message? That would have been an amazing hope for these people to hear. I have plans for you. I have plans for your future. I have plans for your prosperity, your goodness. Yes, God is punishing these people. His purpose for them in exile was to be punished, but also to be faithful. I'm sending you into the unknown, but yet I still have a plan because I know what's going to happen. He called upon them to seek the good and to live as the people of God in Babylon. Even while they were there, he still had great plans. And we actually know from the biblical truth, the biblical story, that they did exactly this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They sought the good and welfare of the city. And because of their actions, we see people like Nebuchadnezzar, the man who took him away, bowing down and worshiping God. We see story after story of kings, like the kings of Persia who overthrew the Babylonians, bowing down and worshiping God. God's great plan was evident all throughout their exile, but it became more evident a few hundred years later when the person of Jesus shows up. But before we jump into that real quick, he says in the following chapters that he would bring them back from captivity in chapter 30. He would love them with everlasting love in 31. Turn their mourning into gladness. He would make a new covenant with them and give them singleness of heart and of action. God would even cleanse them from all their sins and all that they've ever committed. He's promising a future. Not just to return from exile, but fullness of his presence. And that came when Jesus came. Jesus, the one who came into the mess, a mess so much worse than any exile. He himself coming into a distant land that he created, but his own rejected him. This is what he stepped into. Jesus who was born not into royalty or power, but in humility and gentleness. Jesus who spoke something new of a new kingdom, of a new creation. Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus who traveled around the countryside and city calling people to follow after him. Healing the lame, healing the sick, giving sight back to the blind, giving hearing abilities back to the deaf, setting the captives free. Jesus who was fully God, Jesus who was fully human, who was tempted and tried and endured pain just as you and I do every single second of every single day. Jesus who was beaten, who was mocked, who was spat upon, who was crucified and killed and laid in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus who right now is seated at the right hand of God. Seated. That means what he did, he accomplished. All of that was fulfilled in Jesus and because of what he has done, he has given us a hope, a peace, a joy that none of that makes sense to the world around us. And listen, that hope, that peace, that joy is what transforms cities and transforms nations. And we have it. So don't keep it to yourself. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the model that he gave for us. In Jesus, we see how he lives, so we live like Jesus. But we also see that Jesus gave his people 
still the people of God. May not be Israelites anymore, but we are the people of God, the covenant people of God. And he's given us an identity and a purpose. We see what he says in 1 Peter. When he says, you, my people, you are a chosen nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are the exact same words he gave the Israelites back in Exodus. So that you may declare his praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had no mercy, now you receive mercy. That is your identity. You're a chosen person of God, a chosen priest of God, a chosen prophet of God. And that is great. We embrace that identity, but do not just embrace your identity, also embrace your purpose. There's also a purpose. Because what, we, what do we do? We get so focused on our identity, which our identity is kept in Christ, so we think about eternity. And we lose sight of what's going on around us. We know our destination, yet we fail to see what's going on on the journey around us. Listen, you will never be effective. CBC will never be effective or have an impact if we are so focused on heaven and not bringing heaven down to earth. Do not be so focused on the destination that you, that you forget the purpose of the journey. There is a purpose right here, right now, to be the people of God. To be a chosen people. To declare his greatness. So I ask you the question then. Where has God placed you? Because the people of God should always live as the people of God, wherever God has called the people of God. Where has he placed you? What special calling has he given to you? And I'm not talking about the special calling of minister, the special calling of, a, of an educator. I'm talking about just the calling of a child of God. Where has he placed you? Where are you saying yes to following him, being a part of his kingdom, his ministry, his opportunities, the building of his kingdom? Are you a teacher? Then as a teacher in that school, seek the good of that school. Are you a banker? Then as a banker, seek the good and the peace of that bank that you work at. Are you a, are you a, a pastor? Seek the good and the peace of the church that God has called you to be a part of. Are you a government official? Seek the good and the peace of wherever God has placed you. A healthcare worker, seek the good and the peace of those you work with. Who are you? What is your calling? What has God called you to be a part of? Fill in the blank. Once you have that, you say, I will seek the good and prosperity of the city because I know if I pray for this city, if I pray for this nation, pray for this kingdom, while I am here and I seek its good and I seek its prosperity, I too will prosper because my life has been transformed by being called a child of God. And I want to see this world transformed in his image. And I have a responsibility to play right here, right now, while I'm a stranger in exile. Yes, I might be weird about it. That's good. That means you don't look like the people around you. It means something's different. The people of God should always live as the people of God. As we start to wrap up, I want to just challenge you just to consider for a second, what is your calling? Actually, don't even consider it. Here is your calling. You're a child of God. That's number one. Everything else is secondary, tertiary. Number one is you are a child of God. As a part of CBC, as a part of a member of Clarksburg, Bridgeport, I don't even know all the communities around here yet. But I know that all of us are called to seek the city's good, to seek the nation's good, to seek the, the world's good. And there are billions of people who need to know that we are seeking their good. Would you pray with me as we wrap up today? 
Father God, it's been good to be gathered together to sing songs to you, to sing songs about your goodness, about your faithfulness, about the way you've provided for us, whether it be honey in a rock or all the other things you've given us in this life. And God, I'm thankful for the way you call every single one of us to be in your kingdom. To be a part of what you are calling us to do as your people. God, you've given us an identity as your children. God, we collectively embrace that identity and claim it as our own, but yet we also embrace the purpose you have given to us to bear that image as your child. To go out into the city streets, to go out into the countryside, to follow the steps of Jesus wherever that takes us, and to seek the good around us, to seek the prosperity around us, to build lives, to build homes, to to dig down deep roots and say, yes, this is our temporary home, but while we are here, we are bringing our home to this place. We're bringing heaven down to earth, and we're going to transform this city. We're going to transform this state. We're going to transform this nation because we are part of the kingdom-building work of the Holy Spirit. So God, may your spirit empower us to show us where you would have us to go. God, give us a burden for the city. Give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden for those who are across the aisle from us even today. And then collectively come together as we gather, as we build, as we grow, as we study, and we step out as your kingdom-going people to build this kingdom in this place. God, thank you. God, we give it back the breath in our lungs to you as we sing in response. It's your sons, let me pray. Amen.